I'm back. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, that will be our scripture reading this morning. I do more than invite you, I encourage you to please um, follow along. We'll be starting at verse 17 and reading uh, through the end of the chapter, so 17 through 25. Hear the words of our God and our Lord. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and laborers deserve his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure, no longer drinking only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. All right, thank you, Tim. I, I want to just thank you as a church for praying for us, uh, praying for Shelly, uh, for her family. Um, Shelly actually went to Ohio last Monday to visit her mom. And so in the providence of God, she happened to be in Ohio when uh, her sister-in-law passed away very unexpectedly on Thursday night. Um, and so I apologize, but right after the service, as soon as I say amen, uh, I need to leave because I'm going to jump on a plane and fly to Ohio to be with them. The funeral is this week, and Lord willing, we'll be back Friday and uh, plan to be here next Sunday uh, with you as well. But um, thank, thank you for praying, and pray especially for Noah and Seth. Um, it was four years ago this month that their father died. It was Shelly's brother that died. And about three months after that, one of their grandpas died. It was Kim's father. And then two years ago, um, Shelly's stepdad, their grandfather, died. And then about three months ago, um, Kim's stepdad died. So it was another grandfather that died, and now their mother died. So they're young, 24 and 27, and they've walk through a lot of death. So really pray for them. Um, pray that God will really sustain them and comfort them and, and meet their needs. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25 is our uh, sermon text for today. And as we begin, I, I want to just remind you of some things that you know to be true, and that is this, that Christ loves the church. 
So much so that Jesus left the glories of heaven. He came to this sin-cursed world. He died on the cross in our place, was raised to life on the third day, conquering sin and death, so that all who believe in him would be forgiven of their sins, would be reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life. More than that, in Christ, the many who believe are made one, becoming members of his body, the church. And it's here in the church that we are being built up together to be a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And so through the church, God reveals his glory, his greatness, his character, his beauty, his work of redemption. Through the church, God reveals his glory to all, to the entire world. And so it makes perfect sense why Christ loves the church. And it is in the church that Christ has given gifts, spiritual gifts. Every member of the church has a gift or gifts for the purpose of building up the body. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we are told that when every single member does his or her part, stewarding that gift that Christ has given to them, loving God and loving others, the church matures. Uh, the, The church is protected from being tossed here and there by every whim and false doctrine. This is one of the reasons why we're taught in Romans 12.10 to give honor to one another. We value one another because of Christ. So there are different, many different gifts with one purpose, to build up the body of Christ. Those gifts include mercy and knowledge and serving or helps, uh, teaching giving, discernment, encouragement, leadership and administration, faith, wisdom, evangelist, prophet, pastor, teacher, among others. And when you love God and you love people, these gifts, enable these spiritual gifts that have been given to you by Christ enable you to, to see needs in the body. And these gifts empower you, enable you to meet those needs so that In Christ, the body is built up. Again, when each person does his or her part, the body matures. Now, this morning, our sermon text speaks to one of those gifts in particular, the gift of pastor-teacher. The term pastor-teacher is used interchangeably in the New Testament with elder and overseer. Christ gifts men to be pastors, teachers, or elders and overseers. So the man who serves as an elder or an overseer in the church is gifted by Christ to be a pastor, teacher, or a teaching shepherd. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12 is, is quite clear that Christ gave the gift, a pastor, teacher, to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So the job of a pastor, teacher, or an elder, or overseer is to equip the church 
for the kind of ministry that will enable the body of Christ to mature and accomplish its mission in making disciples as each member of the body does his or her part. And so again, we are called to give honor to every member of the body. But in verses 17 through 25, God gives some specific and clear instructions regarding elders. Uh, God addresses three things regarding elders. And the first is this. God gives clear instruction for honoring elders who rule well. Let me read again verse 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So I think the first question to ask here is what does it mean for an elder to rule well? Um, clearly, that is God's desire for elders to rule well. But what does that mean? Well, the, the word here for rule speaks really of two things. It's leading and caring. Um, if you do that well, you will lead and provide care in right and fitting ways. And as a leader, you have the responsibility and authority to give leadership to the church. Um, the Apostle Paul really said it best when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Christ is the chief shepherd of the church. And an elder in the church is what we call an under-shepherd. Uh, elders are under the authority and leadership of Jesus, the chief shepherd. And our job as under-shepherds is to lead the church in following after the chief shepherd, who is Jesus. And when we follow Christ, we are reminded that he came as a servant leader. In Matthew chapter 20, we're told the story of how the mother of James and John approached Jesus, and her two sons were with her. But she asked Jesus to give her sons the seats of greatest honor next to him. Now, when the other disciples heard this, obviously they were quite upset, understandably so. And so Jesus gathered them together and he said this in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. Let me stop just for a minute. These Gentile rulers really were self-seeking. They ruled in domineering in harsh ways. They were really more interested in what their position of authority would do for them rather than what they could do to serve others for their good. And Jesus says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So elders then must be servant leaders as they lead the flock in following after Jesus. And, 
And that means that they understand that their role is not to be served, but to serve others for their good, even to the extent of sacrificially giving of themselves for the good of the sheep. And that, and that is really what captures the second aspect of ruling. It's not just leading, it's also caring. An elder who rules well will be a servant leader as he cares for the needs of others. He will give of himself tirelessly to help the sheep follow after Jesus. Now, earlier in chapter 5, verse 3 in particular, we're told to honor widows who are truly widows. And in that context, it's clear that honoring them included treating them with value, but also caring for their physical and monetary needs. But now in verses 17 and 18, we learn that elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. But notice that rationale is giving. The Apostle Paul quotes the law and then he quotes Jesus. Uh, first, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, I hope it's obvious to you that Paul's not saying an elder is nothing more than a dumb ox. Um, rather, we have here and a, an excellent example of how the law gives instruction to the church today. The, the principle of feeding an ox so that it will have the strength to do the work is applied to the elder. And again, that makes perfect sense. In, if the ox is not properly cared for, if the owner does not value the ox, it won't be useful or effective in providing food for its owner. And so, too, placing value on the elder and caring for the needs of the elder enables him to more effectively labor in preaching and teaching in such a way that the church will be built up. In Acts 18, we learn that Paul worked as a tent maker when he first arrived in Corinth to plant a church. But when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, we're told that they worked and they supported Paul and Paul devoted his time, his entire time. He gave himself to the ministry of the word. So God is teaching us that it is fitting to provide support for the elder who rules well. Um, we also see this principle taught very clearly in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says in verses 7 through 9 of 1 Corinthians 9, and I quote, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the, in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 
So I think Paul's point is very clear. An elder who rules well is worthy of double honor. But what Paul was also very quick to say in that 1 Corinthians 9 passage is that though he had the right to be uh, receive remuneration, he did not claim that right because he was willing to endure anything for, for not to create an obstacle for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the free and unhindered proclamation of the gospel is really what mattered most to Paul. Now, sometimes people jokingly say to me, boy, it must be nice being a pastor because you only have to work one day a week. And, of course, we all laugh. I don't mind that. That's fine. But I want you to know, Paul really gets it right here in this text when he says, an elder that rules well is worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Um, when you think of labor, you think of work. You think of hard work. It's not easy. Um, so, so hear me out. Studying, studying God's word is a great joy. It's an incredible joy. I, I really consider myself so richly blessed to have extra time to do that very thing. But I, I want you to know it's also hard work to exegete a text and to craft a lesson or a, a Bible lesson. Uh, but it's not just that. The, the ministry of the word, as Paul said in Acts 20, 20, is not just public, it's also private. It's not just from the pulpit, it's sitting in the counseling desk, it's in homes, it's in the hospital, it's in the workplace, it's in the trenches of life. And as you, you as a church, generously pay a salary to free me up to labor in studying the word, writing sermons, giving biblical counsel, uh, teaching, preaching, leading, caring. Paul even says the church should consider this elder worthy of double honor and no, I don't think that means an elder should be compensated double of what others receive. Rather, it emphasizes that the value and the care given to an elder should be fitting. It should be sufficient and even generous if able. And I want you to know that you do that very well. Um, so thank you for that. But let, let me also say this. I, I'm one of four elders here at Grace Hill Church, but I'm the only vocational elder at the moment. Uh, Tony and Andrew and Tim share in the shepherding responsibilities here at Grace Hill Church. Um, they also work or have worked other full-time jobs, which uh, supports giving me more time of the, for ministry of the word and shepherding. So my responsibilities include being the primary, uh, uh, being the primary teacher and preacher. Um, not the only one, but the primary one. And it's simply because I've been allotted more time to do that. And so in many ways that makes that makes me preaching about this subject today a bit awkward. 
Um, it could easily be viewed as me being self-serving. But I hope that you know that my commitment is to submit myself to Christ and his word and to simply say what the word says. Um, you, you know my commitment to teach and preach expositionally. So we teach and preach through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. My, my desire is to do that in texts that are easy to preach and in texts that are harder to preach. I, I hope that you see that it's God that gives clear instruction to consider elders who, are, who, who rule well worthy of double honor. That's God's desire. It was Jesus who said the laborer deserves his wages. And, and again, you, you honor me well. Uh, you, you as a church have lived in light of this passage well. Christ is honored in that. To, to God be the glory for that. God gives clear instruction for honoring elders who rule well. But secondly, God gives clear instruction for addressing elders who sin. Verses 19 and 20 say this, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So the Apostle Paul, as a reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy to equip him to give leadership to the church there in Ephesus. Um, that would include appointing other qualified elders to help lead and care. And part of their care must include addressing elders who sin. Uh, this was an important responsibility if they were going to be able to fight the good fight of the faith. So there are three things that are important that are mentioned here. First, in order to consider a charge or accusation against an elder, there must be evidence um, of two or three witnesses. This is a pattern that was established in the law um, as found in Deuteronomy 19.15, which says this, a single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So the point here is that no unsubstantiated accusations should be considered. Um, this is an important principle of promoting justice for all people, but it's even more so for elders. Elders can be easy targets. Um, elders are most visible. Their decisions and their lives impact the lives of many peoples and many people, and elders must accept that. However, el elders aren't perfect. And they're not above being correct, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But it's far too easy for any one member to take an unfair shot at an elder. So in God's kingdom, this principle provides protection for all people, and that includes elders. 
for a charge against a particular elder to be considered by the body of elders, it must be substantiated by two or three witnesses. Now, individual ministry is similar, but a bit different. Um, In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, teaches that all, teaches all of us the steps that we should take if a brother or sister sins against us individually. First, you go and gently and humbly show them their sin. And if he or she listens and responds with repentance, no other steps need to be taken. Now, if he or she doesn't listen, you are to take two or three witnesses with you. And if he or she listens and responds with repentance, no other steps need to be taken. If they don't listen, then we're instructed to tell it to the church, and the church gets involved in appealing to that person to repent. And if they listen and repent, no other steps need to be taken. But if they don't listen, you consider them an unbeliever with the goal of bringing about restoration to a right relationship with Christ. So that is a description of personal ministry that all of us should do. But in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5, the situation with elders is a bit different. Here, Here a member of the church is bringing an accusation against one of the elders. How, how should the body of elders respond? And Paul says, don't admit a charge unless it's substantiated by two or three witnesses. But secondly, for the elder who does sin and persists in that sin, without repenting, he should be rebuked publicly. His role is to lead people in following after Christ. And If he is not repenting of his sin when he is confronted, he should be uh, rebuked publicly. So an elder's unrepentant sin is addressed publicly quicker than, than other members within the body. And the reason given here is so that the whole church may stand in fear. Uh, Sin, sin is serious. Sin cannot be covered up. Sin must be exposed. And an elder must lead the way in repenting of his sin. He, he must be a model. Uh, he must model a life dependent upon the gospel. Uh, the entire church should learn from the elder's life that sin is not justified. It should not be minimized. It should not be covered up. Instead, when you sin, you repent of that sin, you seek forgiveness for that sin, you find mercy and grace in the gospel, you experience forgiveness, and you change and grow. Now, there's a, there's a third key point here, and that's this, that the body of elders must deal with the sin of another elder without prejudging or showing partiality. Uh, Verse 21 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Um, When Paul says, says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, it, it becomes crystal clear that this is a matter of 
utmost importance to God. Uh, Of all peoples, elders must lead the way in taking sin seriously and doing that in just ways. Elders cannot take sides before a matter is established. There's no room for assuming someone is guilty or innocent just because of who they are. You, you can't discriminate or show prejudice. You must be objective and consider the facts and the evidence. And then you, you take the sin seriously, call for repentance, and help people find comfort and transformation in the gospel. Our chief concern should be exalting the righteousness of Christ. Um, elders need the gospel too. Now, one, one final point this morning, um, as we consider God's clear instruction uh, for honoring elders who rule well, and as we consider the need to address elders who sin, it makes perfect sense that God gives clear instruction for appointing new elders. Uh, verse 22 says, Do not be hasty, in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. This idea of laying laying on of hands is most likely what took place when a man was appointed to be elder in in a church. Paul says, don't don't be hasty in doing so. Um, Chapter 3, we've already been there. Chapter 3 details the character traits that must be evident and growing in the life of a man qualified to serve as an elder, examining A man's character and doctrine are very important before you put him in a position of leadership in the church. Certainly much harm can be quickly done to a church if an elder is not qualified or if he holds to a different doctrine. So Paul's saying to Timothy, do your homework. Don't rush. Uh, Know a man well before appointing him as an elder. Paul goes on in verse 22 and he says this, nor take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. Now, I I think this seems to fit well with the exhortation to take sin seriously. Um, Don't show prejudice or partiality, keep yourself uh, pure, unstained by sin. But then in verse 23, Paul says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So obviously Timothy had some health problems, um, which could have been helped by drinking a little wine, but for some reason he was unwilling to drink a little wine. It's possible that water quality was poor, and that contributed to his stomach issues. Maybe there were other issues. But Paul makes it clear it's okay to drink a little wine for the stomach. Um, This, Paul says, in no way would make you impure. And then he adds in verse 24 and 25, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So eventually, eventually the true character of a man will become evident to all, either in this lifetime or certainly in the final judgment. You, you can't hide sin forever. Eventually, a person's sin will be found out. 
And it's that way with good works, too. Often, it's in the moment of trial or crisis that the true condition of a man's heart is really exposed, whether good or bad. So, Timothy seemed to be a bit of a sensitive soul. He often struggled with being timid. Um, Maybe he needed to hear this because he was a bit unsure about appointing a new elder. And if that's the case, it makes sense for Timothy to not be hasty in appointing a new elder, give some time to test his heart, watch him in trials. You'll learn a lot about him, but also Maybe Timothy needed to hear this because of his tendency to be over-concerned with what other people might think or say about him. And if that was the case, maybe Paul is saying something similar to what the psalmist said in Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6, and I quote, "'Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness.'" Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Now, as we started today, we affirm that Christ loved the church. He loves the church. And quite honestly, quite honestly, if Christ is willing to appoint some men with the authority to be under shepherds in the church, if Christ is willing to do that, I think it demonstrates that he has great confidence in the power of the gospel to transform sinners. Um, and I think that's the key. That's the key. Elders don't lead well without the gospel. Churches don't function well without the gospel. (laughs) But praise God that in Christ Jesus there is forgiveness of sin. And, And praise God that in Christ and by the Spirit there is power to be transformed. Um. You you and I have every reason to follow Jesus together. All of us. All of us. And my appeal to you this morning is this, and I'll close with this. Let's commit ourselves to doing that well. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing thing you have done Uh, in sending Jesus to this earth and to the cross, even as Tim mentioned earlier, how your wrath was satisfied by what Jesus absorbed there on the cross for our sin. And we thank you and we praise you for that. Father, we've, we've gathered together this morning not as people that are innately righteous of our own strength. We are people who have been convicted by your spirit of our own sin. We have been gifted with the gift of repentance so that we turn from our sin and we run to Jesus. And in Jesus, we find forgiveness. In Jesus, we find hope of eternal life. In Jesus, we find power 
to begin to live differently. And so, Father, I'm thankful for the way that you work in the church, the way that you've gifted every member. Father, this morning, even as we uh, have discussed these things regarding elders, I do pray for us as elders. I pray for Tony and Andrew and Tim and myself. And I pray, Father, that we would be people who would take our own sin seriously, that we would be people who would be quick to repent, quick to seek forgiveness, quick to find comfort and hope in the gospel. And I pray even in doing that, we can, we can say to the body, follow us, even in that, as we follow Christ together. But Father, I pray that you would also help us to be men who shepherd the sheep well, to lead the sheep, to care for the sheep, to feed the sheep, to protect the sheep. And Lord, we, we confess that we need you. We need life in Jesus. We need the power of your spirit to enable us to do that well. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help, help each one of us to commit ourselves to live in light of the gospel and to follow Jesus together. Help us to do that well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.